Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mindset and Manifesting podcast. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Jennifer Moore, and I'm going to read off of my notes because as the older I get, the less I can remember. (laughs) So Jennifer, um, she's a mentor and a teacher for sensitive, intuitive women, right? Uh, Specifically, those who need help controlling the empathic overwhelm that keeps them stuck in life and business. And I can relate to that. Um, she is also a um, an energy healer and a spiritual guide and um, the author of the Amazon bestseller, Empathic Mastery, which is a, uh, it's a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. She's an accredited, e- accredited EFT master trainer uh, for EFT uh, International and host of the Empathic Mastery Show. Um, a lot of other information, a lot of education and training. So if you're interested, I'll have her information available on my website so you can check out all of the other great things that she has done. But right now I want to have Jennifer kind of tell us a little bit more about herself and her program and her book. And then, um, I have a specific question that I definitely want to ask her about dreams. So Jennifer, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what you do and then a little bit about your book and anything else that you want to share. Okay. Well, Lina, thank you so much for having me here. I am just so delighted and thrilled to be connecting and to be having a chance to talk. I mean, even just pre-turning on the recording, I'm just like, oh, a kindred soul. So good to be here. So let's see, where do we start? So, you know, I have always known that, or actually, I realized that I was different than the other reindeers when I joined, when I went into nursery school. Like up until that point, I had just been kind of like coasting along. I was very, very verbal. I was a very, very bright kid. I really loved being around adults and communicating with adults. And it wasn't until I sort of like went off to nursery school and was around children that I was kind of like, oh, I'm not the same as these kids are. And I remember even at like the age of like four or five years old, noticing that stuff would roll off of other kids back that would just penetrate me, that would just really stick and would really impact me. And I knew that I was more sensitive, that I was more reactive, that I was picking up a lot more. Uh, Just by comparing myself to the other kids around me, I could see like stuff that did not bother them bothered me. And at that point in time, I knew I was different, but I didn't really have any vocabulary. I didn't have any understanding of what that meant. I just knew that something was different about me. And at that point in time, I mean, I was born in the early 60s. And so we're talking like nursery school in the mid 60s and mid to late 60s, sort of that early stage in my life. And so pretty much the only interpretation I had was there's something wrong with you. You need to fix yourself. You need to be different. You need to be better. And it wasn't until I got to be a little bit older 
that I started to pursue because I was very fascinated by all things metaphysical, all things magical, all things psychic and intuitive. And so I I think the first time I heard somebody talk about what it means to be an empath, I was like 18 years old, which that was like the like late 70s, early 80s. And um, yeah, late 70s. And it's almost like that would have that would have been pretty much like unheard of. Like people were not talking about what it means to be an empath yet. So I had breadcrumbs that were dropped early along the way for me that sort of gave me this idea of, oh, there's something unique about you. There's something different about you. And it's both your blessing and your curse. So that's kind of like, sort of the cliff notes version of, you know, kind of where it all started. What I will say about my journey is that it is not, I know some people like you had mentioned sort of like coming into your awakening. I was sort of more like the, got put into a pot of water and put on the stove. And as I was born, the, you know, like they lit the stove and like the water started to heat up. And so I kind of was never not awake, like I, but I, but I kind of like came into the intensity of what I am and who I am over a very, very long period of time. And so my journey has been incremental. There's been like many, many, many plot twists. There's been many moments of like twisting and, and, you know, shifting and realizing things. And interestingly, I've met a number of people like you, where it was kind of like you were kind of like, it was like, maybe you were like, it's almost like being like a sleeper cell or something where all of a sudden it's like the, the psych, the sensitivity and the awareness, you just awaken to it. And so, um, which I can't even imagine, like it's hard enough, or it was hard enough to be like slowly like kind of wading into the deep end (laughs) through my life I can't even imagine what it would be like to be just like dropped in the middle of it from the start so hopefully that kind of gives you a a start um you know I'm there are so many different directions or places I could go I'd be much more interested in just sort of like answering your questions okay yeah Yeah, that'll work. You know, you mentioned what you just said about being dropped into it. Actually, for me, it was kind of a relief when I realized that I was so sensitive to energy. Yeah. And um, I finally took a Reiki level, my one and two classes a couple weeks ago, because I was like, I need to figure out a way to utilize this energy more productively right especially since I can physically feel it as well so that was a step for me but when I realized that I was really sensitive to it and I was picking up on other things and the visions and stuff I was getting and it finally dawned on me oh okay when growing up this is why I was so different this is why I shut down because I felt like nobody understood me this is probably why I dealt with anxiety and depression because I and isolated myself, right? Even yes. as an adult, I've done that. And then when I see things and they're not my own, right? 
and I've given this example before. I was on the couch one time. It was on a portal day, like uh, November 11th. I, th- I don't remember. It was one of the like portal days. And I closed my eyes and I saw this woman and she was in a hospital bed, hooked up to tubes. Nobody that I knew. My shoulder was hurting. And I just had this in this intuitive kind of insight to just send love and healing to this woman. So I did that. I'd never intentionally done that before. Like I never intentionally had something like that happen and intentionally sent energy out like that. I did that. The vision went away. My shoulder stopped hurting. So for me to realize that I was so sensitive to it was like, for me, a light bulb went off. Yes. And then all of a sudden was like, oh, then like my whole life sort of made it starts to fall into place. And yeah, you know, exactly. in, in my book, Empathic Mastery, one of the things that I talk about is, you know, the five steps. Um, what I realized, so I wrote the book because I needed, I needed a guide. I needed something that could answer the questions that I struggled with from the time I was like, oh, a little girl until I was like in my mid thirties. And where, so I sort of started to have this idea. I wanted to create something that was a resource for like the care and feeding of your psychic empathic self. And like, how do you function in a world that does not acknowledge this? that does not deal with this because I mean, so much of the time, so much of the spiritual teachings that I was pursuing, so many of the things that I, I found so much of it is oriented towards people who need to like amplify their spent their sensitivity who want to open to their create you know to open to receiving more information and the challenge for those of us who are already kind of like wide open and awake or maybe like partially awake but wide open is that those systems basically amplify or turn the volume up on a system that's already wide is already way too loud And what I realized is so, and what I realized is that we need a different set of tools than somebody who needs to learn how to be awake. The other thing is that when it comes to the sort of how do we protect ourselves from picking up all of the intensity, the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, the sensations that are coming from the world around us, we can't just put a bubble of light up around ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but one of the things like so often it was like the the solutions or the answers I was getting as a kid was, and a young adult was like, just let it go. Stop worrying about it. Stop thinking about it. Just like, just move, you know, sort of move along folks, nothing to see here. And, oh, just like put a bubble of light around yourself. Like just put a shield up around yourself. The problem with putting, so number one, just let it go. I was just like, how in ever loving H-E double hockey sticks or am I going to ever do this? Like, I was just baffled. Let it go. What do you even mean by that? Like, I mean, maybe you can pry my hands open. But so that was really baffling to me because I really did not know how to let things go. But I also found that the whole advice of just put a ball of light up around it didn't really help. And I would still feel really awful. And what I discovered was that the reason why that doesn't work is that it was in the wrong place in terms of the order of things. So when I started working on empathic mastery, what I realized is that 
there's a five, there's a series of steps that we have to take. The first step is recognize. And the thing about recognize, which kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, is that it's not just about recognizing what's mine, what's not mine. Recognize starts with understanding what it means to be a highly sensitive empath and why this is affecting us. So recognizing ourselves as an empath is like the first step of recognize. Then once we recognize that, we can start to recognize when we are off balance, when we are picking something up, when we're feeling wonky or strange or out of sorts. And then once we recognize that, then we can start to go to the next question, which is, is this mine? And then the question of what's mine, what's not mine? And finally, where the hell is this coming from? Like, what is this all about? Why am I feeling this way? And and what of this is coming from my past lives? What of this is coming from my ancestral car, you know, ancestral legacies? And what of this is coming from my my experiences in this life? And what of this is not about me at all, but I am picking up from the world outside of me. And so it's like just that ability to identify ourselves and go, oh, I am a highly sensitive empath. I pick up the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, and the sensations from the world around me. But unlike a psychic or a medium or an intuitive person who just is a psychic or an intuitive, I process information as if it's my own. And you know, which I just shared my definition of being an empath, which is an empath is a person who is picking up the thoughts, feelings, energy, and sensations from the world around them and processing it as if it's their own. The thing is, for so many of us, we grew up in families or grew up in environments where we pick things up and we pick up what other people were putting down, but they weren't willing to own it and they weren't willing to claim it. So very often, most empaths were told oh, you're making too big a deal out of it. You're being, you have an overactive imagination. You're being too sensitive. You're overreacting. You're taking it too personally. Stop worrying about it. You know, there's nothing going on here. You're just making this stuff up. And so interestingly, because this is such a common phenomenon, what I found is that it really causes us to doubt ourselves and to like, to sort of be like, oh, there must be something wrong with me that I'm feeling so out of sorts. So that first step of being like, no, I'm an empath and I'm picking up on stuff that people may not be willing to own, but it really is happening here and it really is going on. And that means that I like I'm more sensitive to these things. Therefore, I need to respect that. But I also need to approach myself and the way I relate to the entire world differently than just trying to kind of fit in with all of the average bears. Yeah. 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 One thing that's been helpful to me is I've really, uh, and we talked a little about, about Neville Goddard's work, and this is really, uh, his work has really helped me in this and understanding my true nature and things like that, um, as really becoming the observer. Mm-hmm. And I've just gone yes. through, I've just gone through th- uh, three months, like a psychic development um, course with uh, my coach and, or not course, but coaching, right? And done a lot of like past life 
work healing. Um, I've done some, I had done some in meditation by myself, but it was so fascinating because there've been so many significant shifts. And now, and I was just telling her uh, on our, in our last session, I was like, this past week, it's like, it's like stepping, it's been like stepping in like a calm lake and then, all, and you disturb like all this mucky water underneath and all of this stuff has come up, right? Due to the kind of looking at this deeper stuff. And um, so all of this stuff every, was had come up this past week, but I'm really just in observer mode. It's yes. easier for me to recognize, okay, why is this coming up? right? This is mine. This is not, but it's taken, it has taken practice, right. And developing that skill of just kind of, um, not kind of, but just observing and being, yeah, instead of reacting, like respond instead of react. And yeah. also I, I had a, I created a meme a little while ago that says observe, don't absorb. And You know, I mean, I came from a family where emotions, if there was a feeling, it was like, stop the world, I have to get off. Like emotions trumped everything. They took over. And there's something so freeing about that ability to just observe without going down that rabbit hole of of just like being completely carried away by the momentum or the riptide of emotional intensity. Like it's possible to just acknowledge and to observe without just getting so carried away. I also just really want to comment. You were saying you've been doing a lot of past life work. And I have to say that I honestly think that there is gold in them, thar hills, like past life work is so like there's for me, Being able to see beyond this lifetime, this incarnation, and beyond a sort of the current state we are in as a species, and recognize like the long time, recognize like the, you know, that like this evolution. And as one of my mentors says, evolution and growth over a lifetime. But it's like, it's not just over a life, it's like over lifetimes that we keep on evolving, we keep learning, we keep growing. And there's something so powerful about being able to see the through line and start understanding like the magnitude of our existence beyond just this time and space. I've been doing, I've been working on this next book, which is a channeled book um, that's all about our this current time and us as a species and our why so many people are awakening to be empaths and also kind of our evolution as a species. And so I've been I've been in, it's been bringing up this one particular last chronologically, like the last life I was in before this one, but I've been getting all these pieces of information and I'm understanding at an even deeper level. Like I remembered this life probably when I was in my mid twenties and I am way past my mid twenties at this point in time. And, but I'm only now understanding things where I'm like, oh, that's why I do this. That's why I do this. That's why I do this. And so I just, um, I really think that there is just so like past life regression work, past life healing work, especially not just where you go back and you remember it and then you're just like, whatever, but where you go back and you really allow the energy of it to clear it. it it's miraculous how different our lives can be when we do that. So yeah. I love that you were talking about doing past life work because 
for me, that's really like the ancestral healing and the past life healing. That's where it's like, if something is, if you're stuck in this life and you've done everything, you've done all the strategy, you've worked with the coaches, you've seen the healers, you've done it all. And you're still repeating the same thing over and over again. I can almost guarantee you it's going to be in one of two places. It's going to either be in a past life pattern that maybe you've been repeating over and over again, or it's going to be in an ancestral pattern that's been inherited, that's been passed on for generation upon generation. And like probably 50% of the time it's both. But like, I really think that that's where the magic happens is when we start going back in and like clearing the ancestral lines, clearing the karmic, karmic wounds, all of that. So powerful. It's been profound for me because I had done so much, so much work yeah. On my own, right? Healing exactly. things like that. And I had cleared on my own some pretty significant stuff, trauma and stuff growing up. And and there were really two areas that I felt still felt pretty stuck in. And then, you know, I uh my coach, I her name this her name is Faith. I kept seeing her. Um, and I was like, this is she really, I really resonate with her. You know, so I reached out and the healing work, oh my, it has been so, so profound, right? So, and to the point that there's really, we're always a work in progress, but like the, the big stuff is done. Like anything comes up now is so minor. It's like getting into the nooks and crannies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So. I'm going to eventually have from my podcast, but part of my hope is that through the work that I do and that I share and my experiences is that there will be people who, who resonate and get to a certain point on their journey and they'll remember, Oh, maybe I should do some past life healing now. Maybe that would be helpful. Yes. Um, Can we talk about the women that you work with? So, do most of the women, because I've run into this, right, in life and business as a child, kind of shutting down, isolating myself. And then in business, there was a time where I was like, especially in the military, it's like, go, 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 way in my divine masculine, right? But not realizing that there were certain aspects I was avoiding and realized it was because of the energy right? The energy that was there that I was essentially avoiding a certain aspect of myself because of the energy around it that I was just kind of couldn't. And you're also not supported. You know, I mean, it's like, especially if you were in like patriarchal mass, like hyper-masculine military culture, like, I mean, it's all just the facts, ma'am. And there's no, I mean, well, I, uh, but I do think ironically, I think within, I think with I think that there is a certain like soldier's instinct or soldier's intuition. Like I don't, I think that, I think that a lot of soldiers, especially in active combat are, are definitely using their intuition and, and, and like, like probably have a lot of woo experiences that they can't explain but military culture is not exactly uh, the most woo culture. So it makes sense yeah. to me that also, like, where were you getting any support to explore that? Where was it coming out? 
So was, yeah. was the question that you were leading towards about the women that I work with? Yeah, because, yeah, because what I noticed when I got out of the military mm-hmm. and went into the civilian environment and then, um, you know, I had a couple jobs and I started my own freelance business after a while and I found it difficult to, um, I found it difficult to, well, part of it now, I know it's because I wasn't really doing my, that wasn't my purpose, right? Um, But working with certain, um, in certain sectors or people, uh, what happens, what happened for me was I would be able to um get get work done but then I'd have to like literally there'd be times where a couple of days uh, I could do anything I was so drained mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily from the task I was doing it was energetic yes right because now what happens now I know better now spirit will be like it's time to rest rest especially as a manifesting generator right and I'm not respond I don't have that sacral response right responding from the mind I so I'm very in tune with that now but um so I know that now but many people don't know their human design they don't know as much they don't know enough really about their self or their blueprint or things like that to manage in the business sector and to know what works for them Right. What doesn't work for them, and then they're dealing with the energetics behind, right? The people they're working with, and being an empath on top of that. Like, how do you manage all of that? So, how do you manage all of that? And we live in a culture that has a, you know, that has a lot of ideas about the formula by which you're supposed to function, yeah. the by which you're supposed to succeed. And I think that anybody who is sort of for lack of a better word, like neurospicy. And I think empaths sort of, you know, like neuro has a certain level of neurodiversity, like not your neurotypical average person who can just follow the set of rules and go about it. That it's sort of like the things that work for the average person don't work for us. And we also only, I mean, I feel like we're in a renaissance right now where more and more of us are having these conversations more and more of us are saying, you know, like, 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 I don't care if you don't validate me or believe in me or agree with me or accept what I'm talking about. I know this is my truth. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, it was funny, my husband and I were talking yesterday, and he doesn't remember any past lives. He knows he has even said to me m- multiple times that he chose not to remember that it's hard enough dealing with this life without having to deal with other past lives. And so he has no recollection whatsoever. Every so often, I'll have a, p- a tidbit of information for him. I did a regression a little while ago where I discovered that he had been my my little brother. Um, but he's like, he has no recall about it. So every so often he will say something to me like, well, that's, you know, well, well, maybe. And, and I just, yesterday I was saying something to him about something that I know from a previous life. And he was like, well, maybe. And I'm like, no, it is true. I just know this to be true. And I was kind of like, I'm not going to let your doubt or your skepticism or your more sort of conventional way of looking at the world 
define my reality. My reality is that I experienced, I made this vow in a previous life that has deeply impacted the frequency by which I reincarnate. And, and I was like, this is just how it is for me. But it's taken me, I grew up in a family of, um, on my, my dad's side of the family, everybody was like um, atheists and agnostics and intellectuals. My mom's side of the family were all like devout Catholics, but my mom had left the church. So I was raised in an atheist family that didn't believe in any of this stuff. And so I spent my whole childhood being around people who are constantly scrutinizing, constantly questioning, constantly being like trying to poke holes in my reality and constantly just being like, are you sure? And, you know, it's taken most of my life to just being like, yeah, I'm sure. Like, and I think this fits into kind of the question that you are gearing towards with the women I work with is that there is a journey that I find every one of us has to go through where we get to claim our authentic selves, where we get to claim our truth and we get to say, this is my reality. The other thing that I've seen is that because we live in a culture that tends to make everything a formula, Like it's sort of like, here's a blueprint. This is what it should look like. That very often what I have found is that many of the women that I work with have to learn how to identify and recognize the way that they process things, the way that they get information, the way that things impact them. And I will tell you that so many clients have found their way to me. And when they first start working with me, Maybe they identify as somewhat sensitive or they identify as creative. They identify as spiritually curious and open-minded. But after we work together for a while, they start realizing, oh my God, I'm an empath. Uh, You know, like I'm real, I'm way more psychic. I've had so many people that start working with me. And when we first start working together, they're like, I'm not really that psychic. I'm not really I'm not really that sensitive. And after we've been working together for a while, they're like, yeah, okay, I really am. And so much of it, I think, has to do with the way our culture has formulas for everything. And so often, if you're an outlier, your experience of things is not within the formula. And so they're looking for, they're looking for like, it's like they can't tick the boxes that they were told they needed to tick. Um, But it's also like that coming into that ownership that happens with the permission to explore ourselves and to examine ourselves. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. I'm glad you brought that back around to kind of how you work with the women, because I was trying to get to that. So thank you. You know, one thing that uh, I often say is so we can know a thing, right, by what we see, what somebody tells us. But you really only truly know something by experience, right? Through experience. And that is your truth, right? Yeah. Even though it yeah. may not be somebody else's, but you really only truly know a thing when you've experienced it. And when you and when it's embodied, when it's integrated, when there is that yeah. deeply felt sense. I get, you know, it's, it strikes me. It's the difference between head knowledge and like heart gnosis, you know, like yeah. there is a really big difference between that K N O W 
um, versus G N O S. Yeah. Um, you know, and that really like that gnosis that I, that deep, deep knowing as opposed to that sort of heady knowing um, the, where we're just looking at the theory of all of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, are you ready to talk about dreams a little bit? Absolutely. So can we start with uh, this prophetic dream, apparently, that you had when yeah. you were about uh, nine years nine old? Nine years old. Yeah. yeah. So, and the thing that I love, and I will tell you, so I, I mean, I've, since I was nine years old, I've been talking about this dream and I, it was my, it was like, it was one of, it was like the moment where I went, oh, there really is something different about me. But it was only in the last year and a half, two years, as I've been doing a lot of podcasts, talking to people um, as the, after the book came out, that I had this realization that was really interesting about the way I got the information in the dream. So I'll tell you about the dream. So, so when I was nine years old, so when I was about four, we moved from, we moved, or actually I was three. When I was three, we moved from my, um, the South shore of Massachusetts, where like my grandmother, like my father's extended family or a lot of family members lived. And we moved away from my grandmother's property and we moved to our own house, um, sort of like in sort of the suburbs of Boston. And I had, there was a little girl who was living right next door to me. And then there was another little girl who lived um, the house across the street from her house. So it was like um, one girl's house, next house, my house. So there's like the three of us were in a row on the street. And, um, and so those two girls were about six months to a year older than me. And they were already BFFs. But as mothers are known to do, they were like, hey, she's the same age. We're just going to throw them all together. And so I got thrown with these two other little girls. And like, I played with them a lot. I spent a lot of time with them. And out of the two girls, the one who lived next to me was the one that I really liked. So she was kind of like my very first BFF. Well, when I was maybe, I don't know, like six, five or six, her family left Massachusetts and moved to upstate New York to the Albany area, and they just disappeared. And we're talking like the mid 60s, mid to late 60s at this point in time. And so this was not a point where, I mean, I was too young to be a pen pal. And a phone call to like from Massachusetts to New York would have been prohibitively expensive. So it wasn't like I could just pick up the phone and call her. So we completely, all connection with each other just completely cut off. Like there was no connection whatsoever. And so I really hadn't even been thinking about her. And then one day when I was nine years old, I had this vivid dream where I dreamed that my mom had died. I had this, like, I dreamed that it was, I dreamed that she fell over the banister of our staircase and just plummeted to her death. And I woke up just knowing something was weird. I had the worst day of my nine-year-old life. Like I was just beside myself. I was so upset. I was so distressed. I was just anxious, freaked out. And I had just a horrible, horrible day. And then at the dinner table that night, my mom just sort of announces, she says, by the way, so-and-so's mother died of breast cancer last night. And I was like, oh, that was it. There it was. 
like it was like direct correlation. I dream my mom dies and I learned that my BFF, my very first best friend's mother has just died that exact night. I've had no contact with her, but I dream about it. So here's the thing that it took me years to understand. If I had just been getting like psychic or intuitive information and having like a standard psychics prophetic dream, I would have had a dream where I would have probably like flashed on my friend. I would have seen her at her mother's deathbed. I would have seen her mother in the hospital bed. And I would have understood that I was seeing not something about my own life, but I was actually seeing my friend's life instead. But as an empath, because we process information as if it's our own, instead of me processing it like, oh, I'm feeling, I'm picking up on this friend's energy, I pick this friend's sadness, I'm picking up on this friend's experience, I'm picking up on the death of my friend's mother. I interpreted it through my own filter. So it was my mother that died. It was me that felt sad all day. And like I said, I only put that piece together in the last couple of years. But what I did realize, and I have had the experience, is that for years, like up until up through my like mid 30s, um, even maybe early 40s, every single time there was going to be a significant death in my community, I would dream that my parent, one of my parents had died. And if it was a man who was dying, I dream my dad would die. And if it was a woman who was dying, I dreamed my mom would die. And um, I had a friend who very unexpectedly, like 32 years old, healthy as a horse, incredibly, incredibly, um, you know, just not the kind of person like exercised, like all of the things. And he basically died from, I believe, you know, in, in hindsight, he had an enlarged heart. So he basically died from cardiomyopathy very, very suddenly, just like, you know, he spoke to his wife one minute, she went off and took a shower, she came back in and found him dead in bed. And it was like, done. But that day or that night, the morning or the morning that he died, I dreamed my father died. And so when I learned a little bit later in the day that this had happened, I was like, of course, of course, there it is. And so as an empath, the challenge is that it's not as straightforward when you're getting the information. It's like it comes through in this weird symbolic language. And so, like I said, anytime a, somebody was going to die, if it was a male, it was going to be, it would be my dream my dad died. And if it was a female, I dreamed my mom died. And, you know, um, and interestingly, when my father did die back in 2020, I didn't dream about his death at all. I knew it was coming. Because yeah. um, sadly, he was sick with COVID and he was also um, quite old and like was really ready to go. So it was not coming as a surprise. But I've, ironically, I, I did not dream about my father's death when it actually came time. So that's kind of the long story about how all of that worked. That's interesting. I'll have to keep that in mind because I have been... I've been writing my dreams down since 2019. Mm. So a lot of my dreams correlate with stories in scripture, mm -hmm. right? A lot of that comes from Neville Goddard's work, um, which, for, which allowed me to understand. Um, I have a lot of 
dreams of death, but a lot of times I interpret that as dying to the self on the spiritual awakening process. I had one prophetic dream and it scared the crap out of me. I drank, it was raining and I saw this woman's hand reach up um, to the paramedics. It, It was a car crash. And I think it was two or three days later. Actually, I have it written down. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Well, that was a weird dream, right? Because I couldn't see anybody's face. But I got an email that one of the individuals that um, worked, that we worked with there in Maryland, him and his wife uh, died in a car crash. Mm. So, and I was, I thought, well, here was this woman, right? Couldn't see her face, but she's in this car crash. It's rain. So that was really strange for me. And after that, I was really afraid for a while that I was going to continue having prophetic dreams. Yes. I haven't had another one that at least not that I'm like consciously aware that it was actually a prophetic dream. I haven't had another one, but that's, I'm glad you brought up that point about filter, like filtering right through our own lens of perception, because I can keep that in mind with my own dreams. That'll further help me be able to perhaps discern, right? Um, the dreams, because a lot of times I'll get inside the revelation will come to me. I'll know what it means. Sometimes it won't, but that gives me a tool to be able to discern. So I'm glad I asked that question and you, and you kind of explain your experience. Um, that process is an empath because that I'm sure will be helpful for me and my well, own. And sometimes I had more classically psychic dreams. Like I used to have the experience of, particularly when I was younger and I was dating somebody, I would have these. And like, if it was like a long distance relationship, I would have these dreams where like somebody would come to visit me and I would call them and I'd be like, oh, look, I dreamed about you. And they're like, oh, I came to visit you. And I'm like, yeah, you came to visit me. <laughs> and so where I would have these dreams where like I, I had a business partner many years ago and I would dream, I would dream things where he would tell me something in my dream. And then like the next day, like 24 hours later, he'd leave me a voicemail on my, on my answering machine verbatim, what he said, you know, like, and so it's interesting that for me, like I've had the more classic, like just cut dry, clean, like it is like it it's much more like it is what it is versus more of the deeply emotional things what i would say is for me the distinction is often if something is really emotional it comes through more in that sort of weird kind of i'm filtering it through my own filters if something is just kind of more like matter of fact then i tend to get it as just just the facts ma'am and have more of that kind of information that's just, it's just very straightforward. Um, and so I think so much of it is about just knowing ourselves well enough and also tracking the data. Like you said, like having rec, you know, having the record of like, oh yeah, I had this dream. And then I learned like two days later or whatever amount of time about this accident. Like that's another part of it is that the more record keeping we do, the more we pay attention, the more we can start like 
match, like putting, like correlating the data so that it makes sense. You know, something you you spoke about that I just want to acknowledge because I've heard this from so many people is that I've known so many people with sensitivity or the gift of prophecy, the gift of, of, you know, the ability to see sense things where they shut it down because it was so scary. Like they would just see something really horrible or bad coming and they didn't want to know it. Like they could, you know, they could sense a death was coming or this. I don't know why, maybe because um, I came in, I did not have my memory wiped because of how I was born. My mom nearly died giving birth to me. And I believe that as a result of how I was born and the sort of circumstances, it was almost like uh, the, you know, like there's a thing where like you're supposed to be the, going through your birth process. You're supposed to not remember where you came from and what you did. But it was kind of like my memory didn't get fully wiped. And so I came in with a lot of I came in with a lot of of memory and I came in with a lot of awareness. And so I think as a result of that and the sense of the through line and kind of knowing that I'm an immortal soul, you're an immortal soul, we all come, we're immortals. Um, the idea of death has just never been the thing that it is for people who see it as final. And so for me, I've always, I've, I've just, there are just times where I know somebody's going to die. I just know it, but it doesn't phase me. I'm like, yep, they're just going to die. And especially it's funny with people who are really, really sick. And a lot of people are kind of rallying around the person who's really sick. And they're like, oh my God, I hope they survive. And I'm kind of like, they're not going to, you know, and like, isn't it sad that they're spending so much time and energy focusing on trying to find a cure instead of like kind of using the last months or weeks or years of their life to just be in right relation with the divine, you know, like, like, it's like, how much time do we spend just fighting the inevitable? Because I mean, hate to break it to you. We're all going to die. Like that is the one guarantee of being in a human body is that this, we have an expiration date. So I, it's never been something that has like knowing about death and knowing that somebody's going to die has not ever been something that upset me, but I know a lot of people for whom that gift and that sensitivity is like, they just don't want to know. Maybe I'm just weird, but I, I kind of am grateful to know. And so, but there are those things like I used to have when I was younger, I had some apocalyptic dreams that were just like, kind of like watching, like seeing down a timeline where we really kind of, for you know, for lack of a better word, screw the pooch as human beings. <laughs> and um, those, those dreams, I are just like, I kind of was like, okay, thank you for sharing. I understand. I get the trajectory. I get where I get it. But please stop, stop sending like, like when I saw the um, Matrix, I think it was it was Matrix Revolutions or like, I think it's like the third episode, third, I don't know if you're a Matrix ever saw the series, but the last one where Neo is like in the machine world and he's like on the wasteland and like, that was just like, yep know it too well because i i dreamed about the wastelands before 
And um, so that was the one thing where I kind of was like, okay, enough. I, I just really, please do not keep sending me there. Because yeah. I just, it was too painful. It was too, and it's scary. Because it, and it's and you know it's just a timeline. It's just one it possibility, just right? Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like the you know spirit is like we're showing you this timeline so you don't go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But the thing about humans and our ego and our mind is that God bless us. We perseverate on the things that we do not want. You know, there's that saying. You know, um, uh, you know, like worry is praying for things you don't want, but it's like how many of us focus on what we do not desire, what we do not want, instead of focusing on the direction of the timeline we want to go in. And right now, I mean, just look at the fear mongering, the terror, the, 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 the uh, awfulizing that is going on all over social media and the news and and just so many people where they're just like we're doomed and it's kind of like yeah you keep talking like that it's more likely that that's going to happen than not but it is i mean time as long as it has not yet come to pass it it is not it is not a sure thing we yeah. have a choice exactly yeah. yeah that's what i um work with my coaching clients on is that focus because a lot of times they won't realize they're focusing on like a certain desire that they have certain they want to manifest or whatever but they're actually focused on something else and it's so subtle and when you're kind of in the midst of it sometimes you don't pick up on the subtlety yeah so i get that and you know every once in a while i have to take tiktok i'll have to delete the tiktok app Right. I have it on there. So if I get a channel message, I can go on and I could do it. Um, but sometimes I'll get on there and something will show up and I end up on a down a rabbit hole with people talking about conspiracy theories or this is happening and that. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. That, sure, that may be a possibility, but that's not my reality. So sometimes I have to just set it aside and be like, you know what? That is okay. I'm observing. I realize that this is a timeline. It's not my timeline. Not so my thank timeline. you. But no. Yeah. Yeah. Not my monkey, not my circus. Thank you. No. Or monkeys and sir. You know, thank you very much. I'm also really mindful of what I curate in terms of what I expose myself to because anybody can claim to be an authority these days. Anybody can claim to have the truth. And the thing is that some people are very confident, but not necessarily like not so sure about the veracity of what they're sharing. And I think like, you know, social media and TikTok, especially like there are people who are very strong in their convictions, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. right. The other thing is, you know, as you were speaking about with your clients, like that subtlety of recognizing, like, what are they trying to manifest? I've noticed so often we are so programmed to speak about what we do not want and so much about like looking at either thinking about, I want this to happen to me, or I'm hoping for this in the future, which that's not going to bring it because you're, you're, num you know, because you're still projecting it not here now. But then the other thing I've noticed is so often people are doing things from a reduction, like they're thinking about what they like they're It's more of like, I don't want that as opposed to I do desire this. The other thing I've noticed personally is the use of language. Um, 
I've been really working very hard to eliminate the word want from my vocabulary, except if I use it very deliberately. Because want literally means you do not have it. To want for something means that you are wanting for something. You do not have it. So every time anybody starts talking about, I want this, I want that, I want to earn a seven-figure salary this year, I want um, I want a new couch, I want a this, I want a that, what they are literally saying is, I do not have this thing right now. So I've been working a lot myself and then with my students of just like the subtle language tweaking yeah. of speaking about, I desire this as opposed to, I want this. But then the other thing, like I was working with, I've got a a group of, I have what's called the Fairy Godmother Apprenticeship Program. And so I was working with my Fairy Godmother Apprentices today, and we were doing some visioning and calling, summoning things in. And one of them spoke about something and they spoke about, they made an affirmation about their business supporting them, but they spoke about it as a future thing. And so I was like, how about you just try this on and you say, such and such is supporting me as opposed to such and such will support me. Yeah. Such incredibly subtle things, but what a difference. Like, are we speaking to the desire and are we speaking to the now or are we speaking to the things we do not wish for? And are we speaking to, and are we projecting all of the someday my prince will come as opposed to I am lusciously loved and blessed and surrounded with people who adore me and, um, you know, and I welcome my prince. Exactly. Yep. Language is huge. I got over the want one. Now for me, it's the, the hope, right? Like I hope. Like, I hope I'll see, I hope I'll do this or see. So I got over the want. So now I'm like working. It's like one word at a time that I'm Mm -hmm. noticing that. Yeah, we have to deconstruct it. Um, Another one is, but, you know, that's a really like eliminating eliminating the word, but from our vocabulary or again, very mindfully, because whenever we use the word, but whatever we said before the word, but we've just negated. And so if we say something like, um, you know, I am surrounded, I, I live in a beautiful place in, in, I live in a beautiful place in Maine, I'm surrounded by nature and grace and beauty, but um, I live seven miles away from the nearest grocery store, or but I have a neighbor who's annoying or something. Thankfully, I did not have any annoying neighbors, but, <laughs> you know, and so so there's that idea of when we say something and then we add the but after, what we've just done is negated the entire front end of it. And so shifting from the word but to the word and is another really magical thing because, you know, I, I'm i surrounded by nature and I really enjoy my, I really love where I live and I live seven miles away from the grocery store. Like there's such yeah. a difference to that. and then. If you are doing like I will actually as an EFT um, uh, practitioner and trainer, I will deliberately use but at times where I want to negate an experience. So um, even though I'm feeling all of this incredible neck pain and I've been I've been really, really stressed out about this, this, this and this and this. 
but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're using it in a way that is actually using the but as the negation and pushing and directing towards the thing we want. So ironically, most of the time, people use but with a positive statement and then but and a negation. But we but we can use that word if we use a negative statement first, but to negate it and then throw in the positive possibility instead. That's Isn't a, that cool? That's interesting. Yeah, I don't that that word. I don't even think that word has been in my vocabulary. Maybe I've said a couple of times it hasn't. So the fact that you brought it up, like, which made me realize I didn't even think about that because it hasn't actually been in my awareness, which means I probably haven't used it. If I have, it's been like very rare or, and because I don't use it, the people that I've coached don't use it either because it's, everything's a reflection, right? Right, so that's right. so interesting. Yeah. So watch it all come into my awareness now or somebody will use it around because that's just how manifestation works. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. So I think that um, is really all of the questions that I have. But um, and or see, I just said it. You just said it. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to be mindful. Yeah. I have to be mindful that I don't say it because I normally wouldn't. Um, so we talked. Before I started recording that, I will have your information on my website. I'm working on revamping my resource page. So it'll probably take a couple of weeks after I'm done with the recordings. So that your book, I'll have that linked, all of your information. Is there anything else that you want to mention um, about Mm. how well, I'll have it up, but can you go ahead and mention the best way for people to find yes, you? Yes, let me. So I I, it, I got a system down. So bottom line, empathicmastery.com will lead you to everything. My social media handles on everything is at Empathic Mastery. So you can find me pretty much anywhere on the TikTok, on the Instagram, on the Facebook. I don't do Twitter because it's just become such a divisive cesspool. Um, of like mansplaining and posing (laughs) that I've just kind of been like, I'm away from the Twitter. But, but um, I am in all kinds of other, other social media places. And if you want to get access to my book, I have a system, empathicmasterybook.com for the books. And to listen to my podcast, The Empathic Mastery Show, which is a podcast that features all kinds of highly sensitive empaths in all kinds of different aspects or walks of life talking about their experiences as empaths. People have talked about near-death experiences. People have talked about working in animal rescue. People talking about ADHD and being an empath. People talking about, um, you know, being mediums, like just all, you name it, there is probably a a podcast episode about it. And that's empathicmasteryshow.com. So EmpathicMastery.com, EmpathicMasteryBook.com, and EmpathicMasteryShow.com. We'll okay. take you everywhere. Yeah, Awesome. So that'll, that'll be helpful, I'm sure, because there are probably individuals listening right now, either knowing they're an empath or have some inclination now that perhaps... They may be. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to, I created a test, uh, a quiz a while back 
called um that's like what's your empathic you know basically like are you an empath um and if you go to empathicwoman.com that will take or just go to empathicmastery.com and it will lead you to the quiz as well but you can take the quiz and it's a bunch of questions but it will sort of help you to understand and just sort of see like oh yeah i never thought of this as being relevant to being an empath and uh all that you know, it's funny. I don't know if you ever have this experience where you kind of are expecting a particular question and then they ask it and it's not what you're expecting. But what I thought you were going to ask me was, is there anything else that feels really important to say? And, oh. and so what I was thinking about, as I imagine that was the question, was I was thinking that what I really would love to say to anybody who's listening to this podcast and who is identifying as an empath, who's like, oh my God, there I am is that what I want to say to you is, one is please like take the flail or the bat or whatever it is that you're beating yourself up with out of your hand, like put it down and please just like love, like love yourself for who you are as you are right now. And also you are perfect just as you are. Your sensitivity is God's gift. You were made this way for a reason. You are who you are supposed to be. And even if there are people who are saying you're too sensitive, that you're overreacting, that you're making stuff up, you know what's true. And it's okay to be different than everybody else in your family. It's okay to be different than everybody else in your work environment. It's okay to be weird. It's okay to be, to pick things up and just please know that you are fine, right? As you are, and that it's okay to trust yourself. It's okay to believe in yourself, even when nobody else does. Exactly. Thank you. That's so beautiful. So I'm glad you added that. And I'm going to have to remember that question. Is there anything important you want to say? I'm going to have to remember that to ask in future episodes. I'm still, because I felt like so shut down and so weird for a while, it's taken me getting used to actually interviewing and getting better because I've isolated myself, right? To get used to Learning to interview is absolutely a process and getting comfortable. And I will just say for anybody who's listening, who is in the sort of empathic entrepreneur world and you're out there and you're putting yourself out into the world, I have like, I have recorded literally, and I mean, literally in the true meaning of the word, thousands upon thousands of videos at this point in time. And it takes, and I've done hundreds of podcast interviews on either side of the microphone it really takes time to get there. And I always find it funny when somebody's like terrified of doing their first Facebook live or their first video, because I'm like, Oh, honey, (laughs) if you get like, if you get five viewers, you're going to be really lucky. Like we have, we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. When the truth is it, we have, you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And it really is in the hundreds before you get comfortable with stuff. So it takes the time that it takes. I know, but I'm going to remember that question and I'm going to write it down. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, All I right. have, I mean, I have a sort of loose for my podcast. I have a loose formula that I follow and then I kind of let things flow. But I, I really do love asking that, you know, if there was one thing that you would absolutely kick yourself for not answering or for not saying, like, if you don't, if you didn't say this, you're going to regret it. What is it? And I so that. I always like to make sure that I give my audience or my, my, my guest a chance to say that, but it's, you know, it's, it's so fun. I mean, that's yeah. the thing about podcasting is just the best thing ever. It is. And yeah. that's one for, way for me to meet new people. I'm not, isn't it awesome? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate oh, having Anna, you thank on. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a delight. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. So I'll have your links in the description box. People can find you. And again, on my website. Um, so this will go. Of course, I'll let you know when this goes up on, you know, here on the podcast and then on my YouTube channel. Perfect. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. All right. Bye. You too.